And for me, being on the trail running is, is like, let me be a kid again. I love seeing sunsets. I love seeing sunrises. And you're actually seeing views that a lot of people will never see. And, it, it, and to me, it's very humbling. I can clear my mind on a trail. Episode number 396, Todd Lewis, How to Run 100 Miles. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. This episode is brought to you in part by Kind. Kind makes delicious, healthy snacks using whole ingredients. If you guys haven't tried it yet, their pressed bars by Kine are the best, in my opinion. Go try the mango apple chia. It's awesome. We've got a special offer for you guys to try 20 Kine snacks with their new snack pack. You can enjoy 50% off and free shipping on your first snack pack when you subscribe to it through Snack Club, which is Kine's monthly snacks subscription service. Go to kindsnacks.com slash sports for more details. That's kindsnacks.com slash sports to learn more and to subscribe to the snack pack. Hey friends, Kurt here. Thanks again for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. You mean so much to us. It is because of you that the show exists, and we are so thankful for you, the listeners. So thank you very much for taking the time to hear the Adventure Sports Podcast again today. I have a wonderful guest coming up for you. It will be a repeat show. As you know, you can hear fresh content on Patreon by becoming a patron of the Adventure Sports Podcast. We also have fresh shows on Monday, but Thursdays are repeats that we do to dip back in the archives to bring back some of our favorite shows from two or even three years ago. But first, I thought I would like to have a little chat with you. I know that some of you listeners are really avid adventurers, and that's fantastic. I know that some of the listeners out there Some of you may be people that want to do more and just haven't done it yet, and you're trying to find the the right reason, the right excuse to go out and try something. Some of you might have suffered some setbacks that make it difficult to do some of the adventures that you'd love to do, but you still have the dream. And some of you might be pure armchair adventurers who don't have any plans for adventure at all, but enjoy hearing about the exploits of our amazing guests. Whatever category that you fall into... I just wanted to get really real with you today. I've been thinking about this a little bit. I won't go on very long, but I thought I might share some of the things that I've gone through in the last couple of years when it comes to doing adventures. And not just the adventures that I've done, who cares about that, but more a matter of sharing some of the the angst, the challenges on the inside for doing some of these adventures. And uh, an example might be, I'll just start with climbing 14ers. So I used to climb a lot of 14ers. And people always ask, well, how many have you climbed? And uh, suffice it to say, scores of 14ers. I, I, I don't like to talk about numbers that much. But if things go well, I should finish all 58 14ers by the end of next summer. So I'm excited about that. But it had been a long time since I had climbed a 14er. I had shifted to doing 13ers just to get away from the crowds and had really enjoyed those. But then it was 10 years ago that I had my back injury, which I won't go on about. But those of you who may have heard some previous episodes might know the story. 
I ruptured a disc in my back, and the jelly that came out of that disc traveled down my spine and lodged itself against some nerves, and I was 70 to 80% paralyzed in one leg. And that was a, a major event for my life, obviously, but I weathered it and came out the other side. It took about a year to walk somewhat normally again, and then it took several years before I kind of felt like I could do the things that I used to do, where I could actually ski and, and do things that required a little bit more dexterity. But the point of all of that is that I got rather out of shape in that time period. I was limited on the amount of physical activity I could do, and coming back from that has been quite a story. So this year, 10 years later, I'm in better shape than I've been in in years. However, still, I turned 50 years old. Now, that's not that old, and I tell everybody I'm 23 because I do feel like I'm 23 at heart. But turning 50, I told myself, wouldn't be a big deal. But the funny thing is that when something didn't quite go right when I was 45, I said, well, something didn't quite go right. But now if something doesn't quite go right when I'm 50, I wonder if it's my age. It's just a psychological switch that I'm working to to make sure I don't allow it to carry on too much. I want to turn that switch back off again and say, I do what I do. I am what I am instead of worrying about age. But I'm just being really open with you. It kind of rocked my world a little bit to turn 50 and to say, what does it mean to be in your 50s? And my son, Caleb, came home from college and he said, Dad, I want to do a lot of 14ers this year. And I said, why not? I'd like to finish off the list. Um, I, I could switch from doing 13ers back to 14ers. But even then, I'd only climbed one 13er in the previous year, last December. And that was a remarkable experience. But when it came time for us to do our first 14er, I chose one where it wasn't too long of a hike. It was only, oh, I believe it was eight to nine miles. And I chose one. It was a class three, so some quasi-steep technical stuff on it. Nothing crazy, nothing you need to rope up for, right? But I started finding myself being a little nervous, and it surprised me. Because I've done so many mountains, I thought, why would this be nerve-wracking or scary? But I was. And as we were packing up the day before we went to climb, I, I had the jitters. And I was really surprised. I thought, wow, I, I guess it's, it's just the challenge of going out and doing something that I had not done for a long time. And it reminded me of how it felt to do things for the first time. And you know what? It is kind of scary. The rest of the story is that my son and I got to this 14er late in the evening. It was, oh, 11, 11.30, maybe close to midnight by the time we finally got to sleep in our tent. Got up at uh, between 5 and 5.30 to start hiking because in Colorado you have to beat the storms. And on this mountain we knew that a storm was on the way. The mountain was Mount Lindsay. And there was a a front moving through Colorado that was going to cause a lot of problems later in the day. And it's challenging to know at what time the weather is going to turn on the peaks. Down in the valleys, the forecasts are pretty accurate, but it's difficult up on the peaks. Weather forms earlier and more fiercely when you're at altitude. So we decided to get a really early start, and we took off going just about as fast as we could hike, 
because we wanted to beat the storms to the peak. And it was tough. We started by going up a fairly flat valley and uh, had to cross several streams. And it was beautiful, just beautiful morning. It was enthralling to be out there, but it was already cloudy. And then the trail takes off very steeply and heads up the mountain. And as we were hoofing up that trail, I was surprised. I was really surprised because I had been conditioning by mountain biking. And as you may have heard in a recent show, it didn't translate very well to climbing 14ers. And hiking up that steep 14er at altitude was nothing like mountain biking on steep trails. It's just different muscles, a different way to use your body. And my body had not done this in a while. I was I was kind of struggling. Still, we hiked aggressively, and we finally got to the Class 3 section, and it was a steep couloir full of loose scree, and on both sides there was some solid rock with loose stuff on it. And in this couloir there was still snow, believe it or not, and we started to go up the snow and realized it was actually just uh, ice with a little snow on top. Very, very slippery and difficult, but we kept on pressing on. I guess the reason I wanted to talk about this and what I really wanted to be genuine about is that it made me nervous. It was scary. And it really surprised me because you think, man, with all the experience that I have doing this kind of thing, why am I nervous? You know, it's not by any stretch of the imagination, the most difficult or the most technical or, uh, you know, the most challenging peak that I'd done, nowhere even close. But still, it was scary. So we finally got to what we thought was the top. And we had pushed really hard to get there, and it was a little after 9 o'clock. But before we started celebrating, I looked around, and I thought, you know, this could be a false summit. And the reason I'm saying that is just before we got there, the clouds moved in in earnest and locked out our visibility. So now we can only see maybe 20 feet. We're in dense fog. And I started looking around, and I noticed that it looked like the trail might continue on, and I didn't see a survey marker marking the top of the peak. I looked at my son Caleb, and I said, I don't think we're on top. I said, I think this is a false summit. We need to keep going. And so we took off down this trail, and it went across a quasi-technical saddle, and then headed back up again. And sure enough, the real peak was further on. At about 9.30, we summited the actual peak of the mountain, And we wanted to celebrate. We were exhausted because we had rushed up this mountain so quickly. But the weather was turning worse. It started raining and sleeting. And we knew we needed to get down and get down fast because what would be next could possibly be lightning. And we also didn't want a situation where the, uh, the technical couloir we had come up started icing because that could be very dangerous. So we had no no more than just barely paused at the top when we started racing back down again. And as we're racing down the peak, you know, you get this feeling of, oh, I don't know. It's just so exciting to have climbed another mountain. So exciting to have the wind in your face and the cloud blowing through, literally blowing through your hair. But it started raining in earnest now and... The wind picked up and got stronger and stronger and stronger until it was raining purely sideways. Matter of fact, we had our dog, Nevis, and our our dog is uh, probably 65 pounds and a beautiful border collie. 
the wind got so strong that it blew him off the trail. He was trotting down the trail and he got blown completely off course and stumbled into a pile of rocks because the wind was going so strong. And he's close to the ground and has four legs. Imagine that kind of wind with icy rain. When I say icy, I mean literally a raindrop would hit you and the next thing that would hit you would be a chunk of ice and the next thing that would hit you would be a raindrop and the next thing that would hit you would be a chunk of ice. And so as we're going down this mountain, another stupid mistake. I was still wearing shorts, but I was so active that I felt warm enough. But my knees were getting very cold. We kept on going down the mountain, and we made it to tree line when my knees just gave out. So much pain to try to walk. And uh, both knees. And every time you would have to step down and flex your knee to get that next step down this super steep trail pain would just radiate. I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh no, is it because I'm 50? Am I too old for doing this anymore? And I turned around and Caleb is struggling in the same way. And of course, he's youthful and strong, athletic, and his knees are hurting. And finally, we put it together that we'd allowed our knees to freeze up too much. They had gotten too cold. And for some reason, that cold had created a situation where we had inflammation and And uh, it just got super, super sore. So, you know, maybe I wasn't too old to do a mountain. I don't know. But I do know that the next about two miles of struggling out of there was so exhausting and painful. And we got colder and colder and colder. We should have stopped and put on our extra rain gear and extra clothes. But we were at this point just wanting to keep moving so that we would finish the hike. And that was a mistake. So the moral to this story, if it's starting to cool off, you need to stay warm, even though you know you can muscle through it. If you go ahead and take care of yourself, you'll probably be way better off. We may have avoided the knee pain altogether. By the time we got to the car, we were truly hypothermic. Not to the point of, you know, dangerous, I'm going to fall on the ground dead, but to the point that when it came time to start the engine, I immediately wanted to start the engine and turned the heater on so that we could start warming up again. Our clothes were soaked to the bone, and we are just freezing. I couldn't start the engine because my hand was too cold to hold the car key. And I kept on trying to get my hand at the right angle to try to trap the key between a couple of fingers somehow so that I could move my arm because I couldn't even twist my hand and get the engine to start. And I finally did, but it took several attempts. It was cold. Well... Why did I tell all of that? It was a remarkable experience. My son and I made memories that we'll carry with us for the rest of our lives. And it might sound like it was totally miserable, but it was exhilarating. And I think the main point that I wanted to communicate was, it doesn't matter if you're 50, if you're 60, if you're 20, if you're 15... When you try something new, something challenging, that has an element of the unknown, and maybe even an element of danger, it can be intimidating. Even for someone who's done it dozens and dozens and dozens of times. So if you're sitting there wondering whether or not to try an adventure sport, and when you think about it, your heart rate picks up a little bit, maybe your hands start to sweat or or maybe your mouth gets a little dry and you think, I don't know if it's worth it. It it just sounds kind of spooky. I would encourage you to press on past that because the reality is 
I'm just an average guy who likes to do stuff. I'm not like these guests that come on our show that we interview who have done such amazing feats, things like paddling a boat across the Atlantic Ocean in a hurricane. I mean, come on, really? Yes, really. Things like summiting K2. Oh, man, I've never done anything like that. But I'm just kind of the average guy that loves adventure and loves to have life experiences. And I can tell you that if you feel that little bit of intimidation, that little bit of nervousness about trying something new, press through it. Challenge yourself because the rewards are unbelievable. Well, thanks for listening to me just kind of ramble on about that. I just wanted to share what it was like. So that was Mount Lindsay, and there's a trip report. And my goal wasn't really to tell you about the trip so much as it was to let you know about the emotions involved and to get real with you that that's what real life is about. Maybe your challenge is bigger than mine. Maybe it takes a lot more to get your heart racing a little bit. Or maybe your challenge is something that, you know, is is a little bit more mundane, but something that's fresh and new to you. I just encourage you, give it a shot. Go for it. Because the rewards are just remarkable. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hey, I have an ultra runner on the horn today, Todd Lewis from Altoona, Pennsylvania. Todd is a a father and a husband. He says he's just an average guy, works a a 40-hour week, but man, has he done some amazing feats with ultra running, and he's here to share with us how you can do that too, which is pretty cool. Todd has uh, finished a 100-miler. He's done 100Ks. He's done multiple 50s. He's done a 70.5 Lower Highlands Ultra. He ran over 2,000 miles in 2016 alone. So I think he's a guy that has some experience with it. Todd, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you for having me, Kurt. Yeah, it's great to have you, Todd. You know, every now and then we get to interview an ultra runner, and I think it's really, really cool. Some people might say, well, that's running. Is that really an adventure sport? But I think it really is, because when you start doing these sorts of distances— um, you run into a lot of the same challenges that you would if you were doing some major expedition or even more so, and you often find yourself running through the night, running through some beautiful areas where you get to take in nature and that sort of thing. So I think it fits right in. What, what would you say to that? I agree with you 100%. You're out one with nature, whether you're hiking, walking, running, you're out, you're out enjoying it. So I have to ask you straight out of the chute, What's it like to run 100 miles? The run of 100 miles is very humbling. It's when you see that carrot out there and you keep falling short and you you keep going after it and after it. And once you finally finish, to say that you are a 100-mile finisher where you're part of a group that you know um, a lot of people will try and a lot of people will not make it. I was fortunate enough to make it. I was fortunate enough to have a family that backed me to make it. And it was probably one of the most amazing accomplishments that I ever done in my life. Mm, that's got to feel good. So you mentioned before we started recording here that you were not always a runner, that 
this is something that you started up a little bit later. And you've been married for 17 years. You're helping to raise your son and working full-time. It's tough. It's tough to get going with that. So share the backstory a little bit. Um, who were you before, and how did you get into running? Well, I was, you know, your your typical guy who worked 40 hours a week. I smoked two, almost two packs of cigarettes a day. I was overweight. Ouch. And when the doctor tells you, hey, you better change something, and or you're not going to be around for your family, you know, it's a big eye-opener. So mm. I used to run in high school, and I figured, yeah, I could do it again. So laced up my shoes and I went out and I thought I could do a mile run really easy. Well, that mile run was the hardest thing I've done for a while. <laughs> and it, I started to build it up and then, you know, I was like, yeah, maybe run's not the thing. So I just went back to smoking and then I had a wake up call and I signed up for my first 5k with my in-laws. Um, and before the race started, I went out and I smoked two cigarettes before the race started. <laughs> Toed the line with all these younger kids. And when the gun went off, I took off with them. And I'm like, yeah, this isn't hard. I haven't lost anything. By the time I hit the turnaround, I hit the wall. Ended up walking pretty much to the west way back. And I was like, oh, man, age is starting to show. And <laughs> <laughs> so me, I am not one to quit. If I fail at something, I will keep going and going until I succeed. And that's what I did. I quit smoking. Um, I started training. And lo and behold, I started winning my age group in the local 5Ks. And that was so satisfying for me just to say, hey, you know, I did it. I changed my life around. And it's a lifestyle change from eating non-healthy to healthy to training and having your family back you it's it's a positive change and it enabled me to finish my 100 miler years later that's cool i have to ask a couple of questions but one here is that when someone takes on an adventure sport of any sort i think that it can impact all aspects of life positively so when you started running again and you got back in shape and you started winning the 5k's how do you think that impacted the rest of your life? Um, it made me, uh, my work ethic a lot better. It made me more positive. Like I, I wasn't depressed cause, Oh my goodness, I can't tie my shoes or cause my stomach's so big, you know? And uh, once you start buying clothes that actually fit better than instead of buying baggy clothes to hide what you're, you're trying to hide from everybody. Um, it's a positive thing for everybody, your family, like you send positive vibes around you. And I think that like it, it attracts people when people, when people see you doing something positive, you know, more people are going to come and try to be that positive person. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So another question about a 5k specifically, I have heard it said that the 5k might be the worst race ever invented. Yes, it is. Cause it's an all out sprint. 3.1 <laughs> miles. <laughs> I mean, it's in my mind, it's too long to sprint, but it's too short not to try. Exactly. That, that would kill me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's it, funny. It, it's a hard race to train for. Mm. So then you started doing longer races. What is your favorite distance? My favorite distance would be the 50K. Wow. Um, by the way, you've run a few marathons. How many have you done? Um, five or six. Uh, certified races uh, but i have run 
over 30 for training runs. Wow. <laughs> I guess that's what it takes. So why do you like 50 so well? The, the 50K, it's, it's fast, it's uh, challenging, it's rewarding, and it doesn't take all day long to complete. Mm. I think it might take me all day long to complete. <laughs> and then some. <laughs> so how long does it take to run a 50K? Um, for the, the elites, the faster people, under five hours. For me, the average Joe, I'm a middle of a pack runner. I am the type of guy who's hanging in the middle, enjoying the day, having fun, talking to everybody. Um, six and a half hours, seven hours. Now I've run them faster. I have run under a six hour 50K. Well, that's, that's crazy impressive. So here's another thing that people may not realize. A lot of, um, a lot of ultra distance races are kind of on, on trails instead of, Roads. you know, yeah. And, and so you're running up hills and down hills and, and you can have some difficult terrain in there. What is it like? Um, it's challenging. You're, when you're running the road, you, it's, you know, you don't have to look at your feet. You're pretty much staring straight ahead, picking them up, put them down. You don't have to use your hip flexors a lot. You can just run smooth. Whereas trails, you're jumping, dodging rocks, logs, climbing hills, running down hills. So you're using a lot of different muscles and I'm not knocking road runners. Trust me, it's hard running a road, but with trail running, it's just, there's a lot more technical thrown into it. Hmm. So I have to ask about trail running because I, I think some people that are road runners look at it and they think, isn't that a great way to break an ankle, blow out a knee? I mean, is, is that common with trail running? Um, yes, you roll your ankles, you, <laughs> you hurt your knees. I've fallen. I've, t I've had, uh, quite a few spills where I've been lucky. Um, I, I have friends who have fallen and really have done some damage, um, but it's just like road running. You're, you're dodging cars. I've oh, yeah. I've been almost hit oh, numerous times on the road from people not paying attention. Whereas trail running, you got to pay attention. Well, let's rewind a little bit here. Um, why do running? Why do ultra running? Give us a good reason that this is a worthwhile pastime. For me, I've I've grown up outdoors since. I was a, a young child and I've been outdoors, I lived outdoors. And for me, being on the trail running is, is it's like, let me be a kid again. I love seeing sunsets. I love seeing sunrises and you're actually seeing views that a lot of people will never see. And, it, it, and to me, it's very humbling. I can clear my mind on a trail. Um, in 2014, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. and me being able to run was my way of dealing with it. Now she was, she's the warrior. She beat cancer. Um, in 2015, she had a double mastectomy and that was hard on everybody. Cause you're like, why, you know, why us? Right. But we were able to find out what our family was made of and having her strength just, it helped me um, do what I do. Cause I was able to clear my mind out on my runs and then like focusing on what we needed to do to get her better. Sure. And she beat cancer. She's cancer free. And it's just, it's 
being outdoors instead of sitting inside when you're thinking what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. But when you're outside, for me, it was, okay, what, what do we need to do? Yeah, I get it. Man, that, that sounds like a tough thing to go through. And, you know, I'm going to paraphrase this not your experience with a, a horrible battle with your wife's cancer. I mean, that's that's something that no one should have to go through, but it's real life. But just the fact that everyone encounters stress in their lives, challenges, and what you're saying is that running gave you the time you needed to process and the stress relief to allow you to be more effective. Is that exactly. right? Exactly. You know, and that to me is one of the biggest advantages of being active in, in any way, but doing an adventure sport that you love is because it can make us more effective to deal with everything else in life. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's been times when I've been out out on a run and thinking of work, and then it's like it just clicks. I need to do this, or I should do this, and you know, it's it's like a breakthrough because you're you know you're thinking clearly, and it, it's helped my job tremendously. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I also have found personally, Todd, that some of the challenges that I've faced climbing mountains or on a longer backpacking trip or or even on a distance road ride on my bike, some of the challenges that I've overcome kind of taught me something about myself. And then when I face challenges in in other parts of life, I think, you know what? I can do this because I did that. So do you feel that way too? I Yes, I do. Let's talk about your 100-mile journey. It's a long journey. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us that story. I mean, running a marathon is huge. And I want to, before we're done here, I want you to give us some tips on how people can start running and maybe even get up to their first marathon. But I want to hear your story about the 100-miler. Take it to right. that level. Well, back in 2012, I ran my first ultra. My buddies convinced me, hey, let's go. Let's do, go do this 50K. And I'm like, that is so far. There's no way, you know? So we went and I had a blast. So then the following year I signed up for the Laurel Highland 70.5 and there was four of us from our area who went out to do that race and all four of us finished, right which on. is pretty cool results. Oh yeah. But I was the guy who got sick. I was probably mile 18 or so, and I, I just started throwing up, and I, I called my wife. I'm like, hey, you're going to have to come get me. I'm not going to be able to finish this. And I think it was just taking in, oh, my God, I'm running 70 miles. And I just, I like, my stress level just got too high, and I got, you know, I was nauseous, and I, I couldn't get a, get my, get everything together. So it, I think it was around mile 39, I was able to see my wife. And my son and my son says, dad, are you quitting? Mm. And I looked at him and I'm like, you know, I don't want him to see his dad quit. So I'm like, no, I'm not quitting. And I just, I, one foot in front of the other, I just started moving one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. And I actually finished that race and I actually made up an hour and 13 minutes on two of my buddies. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so we all f- we all finished almost around the exact same time, which was pretty neat. Well, congratulations. What a neat story. Thank you. So my father-in-law says to me, so what did you think? And I'm like, I'm never running any further than that ever again. Well, two weeks later, I signed up for my first 100-miler race. <laughs> 
That resolve didn't last very long there, Todd. <laughs> no, it did not. <laughs> so I started training, and race day comes, and I didn't know what to expect. I really didn't. And I did a lot of rookie mistakes. You know, I wore shoes that I shouldn't have wore. I, I wasn't worried about my, my hydration or my fuel. I just ran. Well, I was doing great thinking I was going to do better than what I even anticipated when the wheels completely fell off. My feet were trashed. I, and I, had, to, I had a hard time walking. And at mile 62 aid station, uh, that's where we were able to pick up a, a, a pacer. And while sitting there, I changed shoes. I was in so much pain. When I stood up, I passed out. Oh. <laughs> and my family was there to see this. So I, I came back through, I changed my shoes again and my son was there. And if you, if you just saw the look on my son's face, like, Oh my word, what's going on? I told him, I said, give me a hug. I'm going to go back out there. And he was like, okay. So he gave me a hug. He went with me for a short distance while me and my, my pacer went. And after we got back out onto the trail, I realized I was done. I mean, I had nothing in the tank. My feet were completely gone. So we saw headlights up ahead and cause there was a road and the guy said, you guys want to ride back? And I'm thinking, yes, that sounds great. And then it dawns on me, you're quitting. You don't want to quit. So I, I turned around and said, no, we're going to keep on going. So we kept trudging forward one foot in front of the other. Well, we got caught by the, the, the sweepers. Mm-hmm. I was too slow to keep moving. So I got caught by the sweepers. So I came into the aid station and I had three minutes to get what I need and get out. Well, those three minutes went by, and, you know, aid stations closed. Nobody can move on. And I just, I started shaking, you know, I was like, Oh my God, it's over. You know, the pain's going to be over. And my, my pacer says to me, Hey, you never quit. You just ran out of time. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. You, you are right. <laughs> so I got my first taste of the hundred mile distance and, and it was a bitter taste. But like I said before, I don't quit. Like I, I learn from my mistakes. So in 2014, I pretty much did the same race schedule. I did the Laurel Highlands, uh, 70 and a half again. Um, but this year, that year I had, that's the year we found out my wife had breast cancer. So that was my new, my new, um, one foot in front of the other, I'm doing this for her. You know, if she can deal with what she's going to deal with, I'm going to deal with the distance I'm going to run. So my year was going great. I finished uh, the Laurel race faster than the previous year. I came into my 100 miler. I was having the race of my life. After mile, around mile 52, I do believe it was, I, my foot hit a rock or a root or a pipe or something. And I went down hard Ooh. and I hit a rock. My knee hit off a rock. And when I got up, my whole body was just one solid cramp. And I'm like, oh man. So I started running. Well, I had so much pain in my knee that I couldn't run. I was like, oh no, my race is over. Like I knew right then and there, my hundred mile race was over. And so I kept moving, I kept going forward, kept going forward, but my time was so slow. It was taking me so long to get going and I wasn't making up any ground. And I actually got off course and I heard the voices of other trail runners and it brought me back onto the course. 
And once I came out, uh, the hundred I do, you have to do a loop um, around a park. And when I got there, there was a gentleman I know, and he's like, come on, Todd, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want that hundred miler? And I'm like, you know what? I want it so bad, but I can't be hurt for my wife. You know, she's, we're going to have a long road ahead of us with what she has to deal with. I can't be the one hurt. So I came into the aid station and my wife was there and she, I told her about my fall and everything. Cause they knew I was, cause I was way behind schedule when I, when I should have been there. And I told her what happened and she's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm done. I quit. Now I quit because I was hurt. You know, I didn't quit because I didn't think I could do it. I quit because I was physically hurt and I needed to be strong for her, for what we had to go through. And so it was another year. It was another DNF, but I learned again, you know, it can change in a heartbeat. You know, it was just like when Aaron was diagnosed with breast cancer, it changed in a heartbeat. You know, you don't know what you're going to be given. And so I learned from that. So 2015, same race schedule, but this time I DNF'd in a lot of my races and a lot of had to do with cramping. I couldn't, I did Laurel again. It was another hot year and I had to stop because of cramps. I couldn't move. I mean, I was locked up on the trail. Couldn't take one step. Wow. Um, that year, the hundred miler, um, is training runs. I, I, I felt great, but what happened that year is I slipped on a bridge and I tore my quad in, <laughs> oh, in 2000, 2015. Okay. And I wanted to finish so bad. Like I, I, I switched my training into cycling, you know, just trying to use different muscles. But what ended up having is I slipped on a bridge, tore my quad, um, but I kept moving. It wasn't fast, but I was able to keep moving. And I made it to mile 73, I think it was, is when I, I finally bailed. I couldn't take the pain anymore. The downhills were killing me. <laughs> I can so, imagine. Wow. So, so there, you know, 2015 was another year of another drops. So I couldn't run. The, the race, the 100-miler I do is the Oil Creek 100, and it's in October. And so October, the rest of October, November, December, I didn't run at all. And I had to let my quad heal. And in the meantime, I'm thinking of a way to uh, what I need to do to finish. So I said to my wife and my son, I'm like, listen, if I'm going to finish this 100 miler, I need to stick to a training plan because I've never stuck to a training plan. I just ran. I just go out and run. So I found a training plan and I stuck to it. Um, when Laurel Highlands come around in June, I already had over a thousand miles in and I finished that race and I felt amazing. Oil Creek comes around and I finished my first hundred miler. Yay. So how many years <laughs> did it take? <laughs> it was, uh, four years. It took me to finish my hundred miler. Wow. At Oil Creek. Um, but I got sick. And I was, um, I was, I started to panic, like, oh my God, something else is going to happen that I'm not going to finish. And I said to my pacer, I said, please don't tell my family that I am throwing up. <laughs> oh, I, man, how do you keep going when you're just completely spent anyway, and then you're tossing your cookies? I mean, yeah, my motto is one foot in front of the other. 
And I just, it was just one foot in front of the other. And I was sick. I mean, I could not run. Every time I'd run, I'd throw up. So it was more like a real fast power hike. And I hit an aid station and I asked, all I wanted was a piece of gum just to get that taste out of my mouth. And the guy gave me a piece of gum and it was spearmint. And I don't know if it was the mint that calmed my stomach or what it was, but shortly after I was able to run. And then I know I turned around to talk to my pacer. Well, I dropped to my pacer. Wow. <laughs> so I, so I slowed down and, you know, we got back together and he was like, holy Toddzilla is back. <laughs> <laughs> so it starts, the new day starts to come and it was like everything just shut off and turned back on. And I was a new person. I was running like there was nothing wrong. Now, granted, I was tired. Don't get me wrong. I was tired. Um, and I started passing people. And when you pass somebody, it's just a little bit of more, you know, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. And we, we came out and onto the Drakewell loop. And he says to me, you have seven more miles and you're going to finish your hundred miler. You know, yeah. and that's like, and that's like, wow, I am going to do this. So I came in, I changed my shoes. I was ready to go. Um, my family's there cheering me on and I go and I take off and I do the seven mile loop. Now it's called the hill of truth. And the reason why they call that is because it's a pretty nasty hill, but it's nothing major. But when you have that many miles on your feet, it's like you're climbing Mount Everest. But so I come down out and there's a, the last, I think it's the last mile and a half is a bike path. And my main goal was to finish, but another personal goal was to do it under 30 hours. And when I came out and he's like, listen, dude, if you're going to finish this under 30 hours, you need to run and run fast. And I'm like, I'm done. You know, (laughs) I have nothing in the tank. So that, then he said to me, well, there's a surprise waiting for you at the end of this bike path. Your son's there waiting for you to run you in. And that's all it took. I I was gone. Road running for him, I was out. I was gone. <laughs> and when I came out of the the end of the bike path, there was my son. He come running down off the curb for my mother in law, and he said, "Dad, you're going to finish." Uh, I broke down and cried like I was a ten year old, you know. So I made the turn, and my son said to me, "Dad, slow down. I can't keep up with you." <laughs> and I'm like, "Come on, buddy, we're going to finish this." He's like, "Dad, let my hand. I I, I can't keep up with you." So I let his hand go and I made the turn and there I saw the clock. It read 29, 59, 48. Oh, I crossed the finish line and 29, 59, 59. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah. Oh, what a great story. Yeah, it was awesome. And so I collapsed to the ground because I was just, I had so many emotions going through my body. I didn't know, you know. So I collapsed and at Oil Creek, the race director hands you your buckle. You know, he gives it to everybody that crosses that finish line. He is there for the whole event. So I'm laying on the concrete and he lays down beside me and says, here's your buckle. (laughs) You know, it was pretty cool. The best thing of it, though, was when I was laying there, I had my eyes closed and I hear my wife saying, Todd, Todd, what's wrong? You know, (laughs) she's standing above me and I opened my eyes and like, oh my God, I finished. And she said, yes, you did. And when I got up, all 
my friends were there that I run with. It was because it, it's a they have three different races, and a lot of my friends that I run with did you know we run these races all the time, and they were there to celebrate my finish with me, which was awesome, you know. And that monkey was on my back for a long time, and I was finally able to get rid of it. I it, it humbled me so much that the stress of oh my I don't know if I can finish a hundred miler. You can finish a hundred miler. It may take you four years, but you can do it. Hey, ASP listeners, have you ever tried a Kind Bar? You may have seen them in your local grocery store, coffee shop, or gym. They make delicious, healthy snacks using whole ingredients. Well, if you're ready to try some tasty and healthy snacks, we've got a special deal for you. Try 20 Kind Snacks from seven of their unique product lines with their new snack pack. You can enjoy 50% off and free shipping on your first snack pack when you subscribe to it through their snack club. Snack Club is Kind's monthly snacks subscription service. Go to kindsnacks.com slash sports for more details on that. I love their pressed bars like the mango apple chia bars, or I pretty much guarantee you're going to love their breakfast bars first thing in the morning when you climb out of that hammock. So take a minute and see what they're creating over at kindsnacks.com slash sports and get your 50% off plus free shipping on your first order. That's kindsnacks.com slash sports. By now you certainly know who Bent Gate is. That's for a great reason. Bentgate Mountaineering has been sponsoring the Adventure Sports Podcast almost from the beginning, and we really appreciate that. They've made it possible for all the great shows to continue coming your way. We want to say thanks by reminding you to go to them for your backcountry gear. If you live in Colorado, then just stop by their store in Golden. If not, go to bentgate.com. They have what you need from the latest ultralight gear to the tried and true classics for climbing, hiking, and camping like Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice? They have you covered there, too. Their staff are passionate adventurers who can offer help from their own experiences. Bentgate also hosts lots of events and speakers. Check out their website to see the schedule and to see all of their products. Help take care of the Adventure Sports Podcast by getting your gear from Bentgate Mountaineering. That's that's inspirational, Todd. This is this is amazing. But to hear the backstory about how you had that personal goal and how hard you worked for years to overcome it—that is so exciting. Yes, yeah, so and sometimes I I still have to think: Did that really happen? You know, it, yes, it happened. I have the buckle to prove that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I am an ordinary guy who finished a hundred mile race. And there's a lot of them out there. There's sure. a lot of ordinary people who you don't have to be an elite athlete to be able to accomplish this kind of stuff. Well, let's go there then. I like that segue. What if someone's interested in taking up running? And just for for giggles, let's say they want to run their first marathon. How do they get started? How do they build up the strength and the stamina to actually pull that off? If you want to get started in your first marathon, whether it be a road marathon or trail marathon, where I live, we have running groups. And when I first started road running, I got into our, our, our running group. Every weekend, we'd have runs together. Throughout the week, it was pretty much, you, you know, you did your own thing. But on Saturdays and Sundays, the group ran together for our long runs. So if you weren't feeling it, if you weren't feeling the 10-mile the run, you had somebody there beside you to pull you along. Because, you know, if you're by yourself, it's easy to quit. 
Sure. And when you run with a group, it, the the camaraderie that is built between you and your fellow runners, it, I mean, it's powerful. And to be able to share that with them, so yeah, I can do this. It's, it, but a lot of people are are intimidated by it, and it's there's you shouldn't be. Everybody's there to for one reason, and that's to make you healthier, not to say I run that faster than you did. And if you're in it for that way, you're in it for the wrong reasons. Mm. But if you want to run your first marathon, find a training program that works for you and follow it and, and get with a group of runners and stick with that group of runners. You'll become best friends. Trust me. A lot of my best friends now are people I started running with. Well, I, I told you my story just before, you know, we started recording here that I had had bronchitis this winter and then it just really shut me down. Yes. And I, I'm going to be really transparent here, Todd. I went out last week and decided to go for a run for the first time. It's the first time moving in over three months. And I decided I was just going to run a couple of miles and I was going to try to take it easy. Of course, I don't know how to take it easy, but bottom line was, I got home from that little two-mile run, and I could barely walk up and down the stairs. I couldn't believe it, how spanked I was. So that's that's what this winter did to me. Now, how do I get from that to being able to run a significant distance again? Like, if I want to run a 14er this summer, what do I need to do? What you need to do is you don't need to start out running two miles. Go out for a walk, and then... The next day, go out for your walk and throw in a little bit of a run with it. And then, then just do that the rest of the, the, rest of the week. I, I recommend the 10% rule. Don't run more than 10% the following week. And when you're able to run a mile, run a mile. Whenever you feel comfortable, add a half a mile to that. And then whenever your body, your, your lungs and everything are built back up, you should be able to run two miles with no problem at all. Um, Rome wasn't built in the day. You're not going to be able to go out and run, you know, a half marathon without training and not hurt. I never, like I said, I never followed a program before a, tra- a training program, but once I did and found out how well it works, they're there for a reason. Use them if you can. The program I have, I run three days a week and then both days on the weekend. And I have two recovery days and those recovery days I can, you know, work out, swim, bike, do whatever, but I'm not running. I'm off the, the, the pavement or the trails. Right. What would you say about injury avoidance? And I bring that up because in my years of running in the past, that was always something that haunted me. I would always end up with a bad knee or something. Injury-wise, if you feel a problem coming on, stop. Don't keep going. If you're, if, if you're out for a two-mile run and you get a mile half in and you get a, a sharp pain in your knee and it does not want to go away, stop. Now, it may just it may go away on its own, but there's, there's a reason why there's pain. Ice it. I'm a huge Epsom salt bath person. After my long run, I love soaking in Epsom salts. It seems to take all the soreness out. Hmm. But my thing is, if I feel something coming along, uh, I'll take a break. If I'm starting to get uh, shin splints or something, okay, I'm I'm doing too much too fast. I take a you know I dial it back a little bit. Uh, for instance, beginning of this year, after my I did a 
uh, 50 miler in November. And then I said, you know what? I'm done running for the rest of the year. I ran enough. Now I went out and I did a few runs. And then when January started around or came back around, I started running again. Well, I started getting some shin splints and I'm like, what the heck? You know, I just ran over 2000 miles. Why am I getting <laughs> shin splints? And the reason being is because I jumped into it. My first run was like 13 miles where I should have dialed it back a little bit, but you know, just being a little bit of cocky, I'm human, you know, your body's a machine. And whenever you train your body to do what you want it to do, it's going to do it. But once you stop, it's going to stop. Sure. <laughs> and so you just got to take it easy once you start back into it. So my, my suggestion is start slow. Well, I've got to ask about shoes as well. How important is the right pair of tennis shoes? shoes? Your shoes are, are your lifeline. If you don't have the right shoes, you're going to have all kinds of problems. And your shoes may look brand new. You may have 300 miles on them, but they're done. I have so many shoes <laughs> that look like I just purchased them off the shelf, but they're what I use them for. They're they're no good to me anymore. Well, how do you know when they're worn out? Um, me personally, I get um, shin pain. I'll know when my shoes are out when I get start to get shin pain in a certain spot on my my leg. And so now, what's I'm, happening is the the cushion and the sole of the shoe is breaking down, right? The correct. Okay, and you can't even see that. No, you can't. So how do you get fitted for shoes? Um, I go to a local, we have a, we have a local running store and they, uh, they, they look the way you run and whether you need, uh, whether you're a neutral runner, a, uh, a person that needs support and I stick with those shoes. I don't change shoes. Like I don't try anything new. Hmm you find something that works, then you're going to stick with it. Yes. If, uh, if I find a pair of shoes that I like, I'll buy two or three pairs and I rotate them in and out. So they last longer. Yeah. So there's another thing you mentioned cramping up on several of these runs. Yes. And you said that that that's kind of been your big challenge is cramping. Yes. And I actually met you through the pickle juice people. Yes, and, you did. <laughs> and so I would like to hear the story about how you manage cramping and how you uh, came to know these pickle juice people. Uh, in 2015, um, I was out doing a training run at Oil Creek for the 100 miler and came up on this guy who had this green stuff floating around in his hydration bottle. And I'm like, what are you drinking? He's like, pickle juice. And I'm like, what? And he said, ever since I started drinking pickle juice, my cramps have gone away. And I'm like, are you serious? I'm the king of calf cramps. Like, it didn't no matter what I did, what nutrition I took, I always got calf cramps. And he's like, ever since I started drinking this stuff, my cramps went away. So during my 2015 100-miler, I, I took pickle juice with me, and I did not have a single cramp, but I tore my quad. Mm. So, So – Oh, my downtime, I'm like, man, I got to, I got to figure out a way to market this for, for ultra running. And while searching it, I came across the pickle juice company and I'm like, oh my word, they have it already established. I, I can't believe this. this is actually, someone actually has this. Yeah. This is a thing already. Yes. <laughs> so I, I sent them an email 
And I said who I was that, you know, I was an ultra runner and I found out that pickle juice helps with cramps and they were ecstatic. They're like, Oh, you know, where they, they were, they have a, a lot of cyclist supporters and they had some runners, but I don't think it like hit the running community yet. And I was like, I would love to be an ambassador for your product if you didn't have that. And they did. Uh, Philip was like, yes, this is awesome. We'd love to have you. So they sent me samples and I tried it. Me personally, I love the taste of, I love pickles. I love the taste of pickle juice. For some, they don't like it. But so they, they sent me their product and it was a, it, it changed my running around. I have run from 2016 till now cramp free. I have not had one cramp wow. since I've been drinking this. And for me, that's pretty amazing. So is this a product that you drink during the run, before the run, after the run? Um, How do you use bef- it? Before my run, I will drink a pickle juice shot. I will drink one concentrated shot before I, I get going. And what I do is I fill up um, an eight ounce bottle and I put it in my, my running flask and I take it with me. And I'm, I'm a big tailwind user for my nutrition. So I, while I'm drinking my tailwind, I will take a sip of pickle juice every once in a while. And it keeps like, it keeps the cramps at bay. I have not had one twinge anything while using this product. So when I am done running, I, when I come home, I will drink another pickle juice shot, which is the concentrated version. And it, and it enables me to uh, carry on my day with, without walking through the store going, oh, oh, cramp, cramp, cramp. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about the flavor a little bit. So, Todd, I have, over the years, kind of craved real pickle juice, right? And Yes. I mean, if the, if the pickles start getting low in the jar, I'll chug the top off the jar. And I, I just go, oh, man. Now, some people can't stand it. Too much vinegar, whatever it is. But yes. I tried tasting this pickle juice product. And it wasn't that strong. It wasn't the kind of, you know, I'm going to choke on vinegar feeling at all. It tasted no. like pickles, but it was yes. milder. It was it was yes. really palatable. I thought it was good. Because it's not actually brine from the jar. This It's a sports drink that tastes like pickle juice. Huh. So how does it come now? You mentioned a shot, and then you also yes. mentioned a, a, a bigger... Yes, you can get it in a bunch of different... You, I get it in the... Um, the 12, two and a half ounce bottle, which is the pickle juice shot, which is the concentrated version. Um, then I have eight ounce bottles and 16 ounce bottles. Now the, uh, the eight ounce bottles I take with me and put in my drop bags to refill my, um, my, uh, water bottle and the, the two and a half ounce bottles, they're good to keep cause it's the concentrated version. If you're in dire need, uh, to give you a little story at a uh, 50 K last year, I was running, I was leapfrogging with a gentleman and I came upon him and he was all hunkered over. He was bent over. And I said, here, drink this. And he's like, what is it? And I said, it's, it's pickle juice sport. It will help you. And he's like, what's it taste like? I'm like, it tastes like pickles. You'll be all right. And he's like, you sure? And I'm like, yeah. So he drank all of it. And I told him, I said, give it a little bit. It'll work. Uh, half mile down the, the trail, I hear on your left. <laughs> here he comes here he came flying and he passed me and he finished way ahead of me and i crossed the finish line and he was there waiting for me and he's like you saved my race you know 
it was awesome to help him. It was his first 50 K. Um, for me, it was a training run for my, for my hundred miler. So I didn't care. I don't care if anybody passes me. I don't care where I, I really finish. I'm just, I'm just happy to be able to, to finish these ultras, but being able to do them cramp free is another plus. Oh yeah. Well, how can people find pickle juice? Um, www.picklejuice or picklepower.com. 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 You know what I'm going to do? I don't actually struggle with cramping too much, but when I go out to climb a 14er or do one of the longer days like that, I mean, sometimes we're doing a 15-mile day, but we're going up to 14,000 feet, you know, so it can be pretty strenuous, and it it gets pretty wearing. I'm going to take some of this with me next time so I can try it out and see what it does for me, because I have a suspicion that even if you don't have a kind of cramp that's, you know, trying to shut you down, that muscle tension and stuff like that is still a problem that this might be able to address. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to be a runner to drink this stuff. If you, if you suffer from leg cramps while you're sleeping, you can drink it. You know, you don't have to be an ultra athlete to drink, you know, pickle juice. Um, this stuff works for everybody. Hmm. Cool, man. So Todd, I almost forgot, but you've got a great blog here. It's Toddzilla runs dot wordpress.com. And that's with a Z for Zilla, Toddzilla Runs. Tell us about your blog a little bit. When I sat down to, to type these, my blog up, you know, I wanted, my purpose was not to brag that I can do this. My purpose was to show you that anybody can do it. I mean, you're going to have setbacks, you're going to have struggles, but be able to push through and keep on going, that's my story. I mean, that's, and I'm going to continue on now because I, I, I read it. I'll sit down and I'll read my blog. I mean, <laughs> and it gives me motivation to keep on going. My blog's out there for you to get inspiration on, and I hope that's what it does. It has my very first 50K. It has my struggles to my 100-miler finish, and it has my 50-miler finish that I did two weeks after my 100-miler. So I hope you enjoy it. It looks awesome. There are lots of great pictures on here, as well as plenty of text and stories about about running. And so if you know, listeners, if you want to be inspired, take a little while to go through Todd's blog here. I think his story can inspire others to get out and do stuff too. So once again, that's toddzillaruns.wordpress.com. Cool, man. Thank you. Well, hey, we're about out of time here, Todd, and it's been fun to talk with you. But do you have one inspirational story that you can share with us to kind of round things up? My inspirational story to tell everybody is no matter your size, your weight, your age, get out there and do it. If you believe in yourself, you're going to finish whatever you set your mind to finish. Um, for me, it was a hundred miler. Am I going to do a hundred miler again? I'm going to try. Is it going to be this year? Probably not, but I will try another (laughs) hundred miler. Um, so believe in yourself, just get one foot in front of the other and get out there and enjoy nature, enjoy life. I love it. Yeah. I couldn't have said that any better. I think there's so many benefits to it. Well, man, thank you so much for taking the time to come and share your stories with us today. Thank you, Curtis, for having me. Uh, You bet. And for all of our listeners out there, you know what I'm going to say. Get out there. Have some fun. Until the next time, be sure to swing by and visit us on patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. 
To become a patron of the show, you can be involved in our giveaways as well as all of the new content that we're going to put up behind the Patreon paywall. So we hope to see you there.